Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Hey, good morning, River of Life. If you've got your Bible or device or whatever you use and you want to follow along our text today, Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 13. Uh, For those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you'll know, thank you, Brandon, that uh, Matthew 24 is the end times chapter. The title of my message ain't going to make any sense to you until the end, so you've got to hang with me. The title of my message today is Don't Ring the Bell. Don't ring the bell. How many of you have ever wondered, and you can show by a raise of hands, whether or not we are living in the last days? How many of you, that thought has crossed your mind? Are we living in the last days? The fact is, that's nothing new to us. Um, I think generations of Christians have always uh, wondered about that. In fact, if you go all the way back to the Bible, it turns out that the disciples themselves were actually curious about that very question. Uh, in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives. There's, there's not a lot of crowds. It's a very uh, private thing. It's just Jesus and his disciples. And they take that opportunity to ask him a question. They say, tell us what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. See, they wanted to know. What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, I'm not going to, I can't go through the whole chapter, and and I would encourage you when you get home to to go read it. And Jesus gives us very very, uh, various signs, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, so on and so forth. But one of the signs that he gives is this. This is verses 10 through 13. He says this, Then many will fall away and betray one another, And hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, or that's just another word for sin, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The question that we often wonder about today is are we living in the last days? Now, here's the thing if we are, really living in the last days, then we would expect Jesus' statement to be coming true, right? Because he said that's one of the signs. We should expect that many are falling away. We should expect to see many being led astray. And we should expect to see the love of many growing cold. And it turns out, if you're paying attention, that is exactly what is going on. Um, a couple months ago, I stood here and I preached a sermon called A Bowl of Stew. Y'all remember that? It might have been forgetful. I don't know. Um, but in that, I, I, we looked at the story of Esau. And Esau was a man who had so little regard for his birthright and his inheritance that he traded it for a bowl of stew just because he was hungry. And the point of that sermon was obvious, right? Don't be an Esau. Don't be like Esau. Don't trade the eternal for the temporary. 
But in that sermon, I was trying to, to, to make a point, and, and, I, and to do that, I used a modern example of somebody who did that. And the example I used was a man by the name of Joshua Harris. Now, if you're young, you probably don't know that name, for the, but for those of us that are a little older, we recognize him. He wrote a book back in the 90s uh, called um, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And what he did is he was talking about how Christians should have relationships and, and, and enter into marriage. And it was all about, uh, you know, men and women and being Christians and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it was a best-selling book. Uh, it kind of kick-started the purity movement of the late 90s. And uh, he ended up going on being a pastor for many, many years. But in 2019, the man who wrote the book on Christian dating divorced his wife. And worse than that, he turned around and said, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And he walked away from the faith. Now, I used him because he's a well-known example, you know. I mean, again, in Christian circles, he's, he's fairly famous. But that's not unusual. It's not unusual at all. In fact, the Barna Survey Group, they're a Christian survey group. They do, if you're, if you're familiar with them, they do surveys every couple of years and they kind of keep up with the state of the church and state of Christianity. Uh, they did something very unusual in 2019. They went back and they compiled the results of over 96,000 surveys that had been done over the last uh, 20 years. So from basically 2000 to 2019, they, they took 96,000 surveys. Now think about that for a minute. If each, that's about 100,000 if each one of them... Uh, just did 100 people. That's, what's that, 10 million people? I mean, that's a big uh, uh, sample of people. And this is what they found out. In the year 2000, 45% of people said they identify as Christian, their faith is important to them, and they've attended church in the last month. Those three things. Now, certainly that doesn't make you a Christian. But 45% of people said, I identify as a Christian, my faith is important to me, and I've attended church in the last month. At the end of 2019, that number had dropped to 25%. In 20 years, almost cut completely in half. And folks, that was before COVID. That was before 2020. Now listen, we don't need a survey. We don't need a survey. Our own experience tells us this is happening. How many of you know somebody who made a profession of faith in Christ? How many of you know somebody that, that joined a Bible-believing church? How many of you know somebody that that, that person uh, uh, even uh, went into some, maybe some type of ministry? They taught Sunday school. They helped out in the children's uh, ministry. They ushered, or maybe they were even on a, a church board, and they certainly attended regularly. But yet, here we are in 2023, and that person is no longer serving Jesus. That person, how many of y'all know somebody like that? I know several of them. They have fallen away from the Christian faith. Are we living in the last days? The answer to that, by the way, is pretty easy. Scripturally, the answer to that is yes, we are. Absolutely, we are. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. You see, the fact is, the last days started with Jesus. 
That's what Scripture says. The last days started the moment Jesus came to this earth. We are living in the last days of this planet. We are living in the last age. The only thing left to happen on this planet is for Jesus to come back. So, yes, we're living in the last days. But that's not what people really want to know. What people really want to know are, is we, are we at the end of the last days. That's what they really want to know. They want to know, are we at the, the end of the age? And the, my answer to that is, I have no clue. I have no idea. If Jesus is coming back in 10 years or 25 years or 100 years, I have no clue. The Bible says, no man knows the day or the time. And if anybody tells you they do, you get away from that person as quick as you can. Nobody knows that. But here's my point this morning. Are we living in the last days? Everybody wants to know. Folks, that's the wrong question. We are focusing on the wrong question. The question is not, near. are we near the end? The question you and I need to focus on is, am I going to make it to the end? That's the question we need to uh, focus on. In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John to write to the churches. And he says, write this. This is Revelation 2.10. I want you to pay attention to this. He says, write this to the church at Smyrna. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Now, can you imagine? Most of us have no idea how much time we got left. No clue. But these people did. Ten days. You got ten days. See, the question for them wasn't time. The question is, are they going to make it? Ten days. I remember as a young person, and, and, and I know some of you have done this same thing because you've told me. I remember as a young man wondering, could I do that? What if? What if America turned and all of a sudden soldiers are coming into our churches? What if they're, they're, they're putting out arrest warrants for, for Christians? What if speaking the truth from the Word of God becomes a crime? And you can lose your job. You can be thrown into prison. What if those things came true? Could I endure to the end? Isn't it a funny thing that for many people, it didn't take soldiers. It didn't take torture. It didn't take arrest warrants. It didn't take violence. It just took a tiny little virus. Nobody put a gun to their head. Nobody compelled them. Nobody forced them. They just voluntarily turned and walked out the door and never came back. See, whether it's 10 days or 10 years, that's not the point. The point is, are you and I going to be faithful to the end with whatever time has been given us? That is the question in front of us this morning. Will we endure to the end? Now, with that in mind, I'm going to talk to you, and i got a lot of stuff, and I'm going to go really quick. But I'm going to talk to you about the, what the, give you five things the Bible says about falling away, because it talks an awful lot about people who fall away from the faith. I want to give you five things this morning. Number one, Scripture tells us that falling away is nothing new. I know with the internet and social media, and we, we seem to know everything now about everybody. Anything happens on any part of the planet, we all know it, right? So it may seem like, oh, well, this is, 
something new. It's a, it's a trend or a phenomenon of the 20th, the 21st century, but it's not. Uh, falling away goes all the way back to the disciples and a man named Judas. Can you imagine? You, the man is in ministry for three years. He walks with Jesus for three years. Can you imagine the things that he heard? The things that he saw, the things that he experienced, things that none of us are going probably going to get to do, this, uh, the things that he saw or get to hear the things that he heard. But at, in the upper room, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And the thing that always amazes me about that is the Bible says this, the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Isn't that crazy? He's been with them three years and they have no clue. They have no clue because he looked like them and he acted like them and he talked like them. They thought he's in, he's in for the long haul just like us, but he wasn't. He fell away. See, it wasn't enough. By the way, there's other men called out in the Bible, men like Demas, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus. These are men that are called by name in the Bible that used to walk with the Apostle Paul. He calls them fellow workers. They were in the ministry. They were, they were serving Christ. But every one of those men fell away. So it's nothing new. It's always happened and it always will. So we shouldn't be surprised. The second thing the Bible tells us about this falling away is that it will increase in the last days. Now we just, we're not going to read Matthew 24 again. But just let me reiterate what it said. Many will fall away. Many will be led astray. The love of many will go cold. This is going to be a mass event. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Many are going to fall away from the faith. The third thing that Scripture tells us about those who fall away from the faith is it tells us what happens to them. Now, this is a frightening verse, but I'm going to read it. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. It says this, If... After they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now listen to these words. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Can you imagine? The Bible says it would have been better for them never to have heard the gospel. It would have been better that they had never joined a church. It would have been better that they had never done any of that because the last state of them is going to be worse. I, I put a lot of thought into that, and I don't really know, understand what that means. I don't know how you can get much worse than they were because they were unbelievers headed to hell, right? But yet they've walked away from the faith. They've gone back to that. What could be worse? Well, one thing is could be worse is their punishment. So much is given, much is required. See, they're not ignorant anymore. Now they know. They knew Jesus. And they walked away from him. And their last state will be worse than the first the fourth thing that Scripture tells us is for you and I to be on guard against falling away. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen, it is human nature 
that for those of us that are sitting here this morning and a, and, a, and a preacher gets up and starts talking about falling away, and let me tell you what human nature says, that'll never happen to me. That, that ain't no way, man. I'm in it. I, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it, right? Ain't no way. I'm always reminded of Peter. Y'all remember Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, man, they're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And you're all going to... You're all going to abandon me. You're all going to fall away. Peter said, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Not me. I would never do that. And do that he did. Listen, if we are as Christians here at River of Life, no matter how long you've been serving the Lord, we are well served to remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. The fifth thing that Scripture tells us about those who fall away is it, and thank God for this, He tells us why it happens. Scripture just says, not only is it happening, it's going to happen more and more. Be on guard against it happening to you. And then it comes out and just tells us the reason why people do it. There are four reasons that that I think Scripture gives for people falling away. The first one is they are deceived. Again, we won't read Matthew 24 again, but you saw it when we read it earlier. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There's, listen, I don't know anything else that speaks of that. How many false prophets are out there? There's false prophets everywhere. And I'm not just talking about other religions. I'm talking about even within the confines of Christianity, there are people that are preaching a false gospel. And they are leading many astray. So one of the reasons that people fall away, as Matthew 24 says, is because they are deceived. The second reason that people fall away from the faith is they become disillusioned. They become disillusioned. In the parable of the sower, Jesus says there's a man that goes out to sow and, and uh, uh, he's got a bag of seed the way they did it back then. And he picks that seed with his hand and he scatters seed, right? He, he's, that's the way they did it back in that day. And he says, you know, some, some of it falls on the path, some of it falls on hard, rocky ground, some of it falls among thorns. And Jesus said this, some of it fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Later on, the disciples asked Jesus to explain that, and he says this, the one on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Let me tell you, these are people who are looking for solutions, not a Savior. That's really good, so I'm going to say it again. There will always be people who are looking for solutions, not a Savior. See, they think that Jesus is going to solve their problems. Man, this is the best thing I've ever heard. They hear the Word. They receive it with joy. Man, if I, if I just become a follower of Christ, my wife is going to come back to me. My fan, finances are going to clear all up. This cancer is going to be healed. It's going to go away. And so they come into this, and they're, they're like, man, but they have no root. They have no foundation because they don't want Jesus. They want what Jesus can give them. And the fact is, it's just a matter of time. They go back out in the world, and the wife doesn't come back, and the finances are as bad as they were before. And the cancer's still there, and they become disillusioned. Well, that, that's just wasn't what I thought it was all about. And they turn 
and they walk away. The third reason is that there are people who just give in to the desires of the world. In that same parable of the sower, Jesus said this, As for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. That, earlier I mentioned some, some men that fell away in the, in the New Testament. One of those was a man named Demas. He, he is mentioned by Paul in the book of Colossians and in the book of Philemon. He is called my fellow worker. Can you imagine? My fellow worker. This isn't some, just some guy that came in and sat in the middle row and, and attended on Sunday. This is a fellow worker in the ministry with Paul. Yet in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul tells Timothy, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He left. He walked out because he... See, there are people that they look at, they look at Christianity, they look at Jesus, and they think, man, I know that's right. I know I need to be doing that. I know I need to be in that. But then they look over here, and boy, they just love the world. They love it. Folks, you can't serve two masters, Jesus said. You can't serve God and the world. You can't love God and love the world. A lot of people think they can. A lot of people think they can, but you can't. It's just a matter of time. You've got to make a choice. You have to choose. And for many, and, the long, and let me just say this, the longer you wait, the less likely it will be that you choose Jesus. The longer you wait, the less likely it becomes that you will ever choose Jesus. The fourth reason, and this is the one I want to focus in on for just a few minutes. For many, the cost of serving Jesus just becomes too high. For many, the cost of serving Jesus just becomes, it's too high. Years ago, I was working with the youth here at, at River of Life, and I was, did a, I was doing a lesson. And I did a lesson on counting the cost. And uh, to do that, I, I did a little bit of research on the Navy SEALs. And if you have ever read about Navy SEALs or done documentary on Navy SEALs, it is really, really hard to become a Navy uh, SEAL. I think I read one time, and I don't, don't, don't hold me to this, I think they get about 40,000 applications a year. And only 6% of the people that apply ever get into the main school. They, I mean, you've got to pass an aptitude test, you've got to pass a physical test. So only 6% of the people that even apply get past the basic requirements to be a Navy SEAL. But if you do... You go into this 24-week or six-month school called Basic Underwater Demolition Seal School, or BUDS for short. And of all the men that enter that school, only one in four make it out. 75% of the people that go into that six-month training never complete it. They give up. They walk away. They, they, they tap out. And the greatest challenge, the, 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 the most of them actually end up quitting in week four. Week four is, is known what, it's, it's what's known amongst the SEALs as hell week. Because they take those men and they put them through as much as they can a hell on earth. They, they get about four hours of sleep a night. They're, they're constantly wet and tired and hungry. They, they do crazy things. Y'all have probably seen it. They, they make them sit in the surf in, in full gear and holding boats over their heads. And they're cold. They're chattering. 
they got sand all up in their drawers. They're, they're chafing all over the place. Can you imagine how terrible? I mean, it, it's, it's absolute misery. I mean, they are miserable. And to make it worse, they've got this, in the, in the middle of the training ground, they got this big brass bell. They said it's, they took it off a ship. And at any time that you want to quit, all you got to do is walk up there and ring that bell. That's all you got to do. You just want to quit. You're, I mean, you just said, I can't take it no more. I'm done. You walk up there and you ring the bell. Now, that would be bad enough. And you would think that the drill instructors would be encouraging, right? You would think the drill instructors are like, come on, guys, you can do it. We want you to be Navy SEALs. You, you can do this thing. You know, persevere, make it. You can do it. That's not what they do at all. They're walking around with a bullhorn, and they're basically doing the exact opposite. They say things like, man, what are y'all doing? There's a hotel right down the street. I mean, seriously, this is what they do. There's a hotel right down the street. Just, just all you got to do is ring the bell. Man, you can go down there and get a hot shower. Oh, that hot shower. And these guys are just shaking, right? I mean, they're just, you can get a hot shower. You can sleep for a week. Nobody's going to blame you. Just, just tap out. Hit the bell. You know you want to. I mean, look at you. Man, it's all in your mind right now. You want to quit. Just do it. Just give up. You're not going to make it anyway. I mean, that's the kind of things that they, that they say. Now, here's the thing. You understand, they don't want them to quit. They want them to make it. But their goal is to find Navy SEALs. Their goal is to find men who will persevere. Their goal is to find men who will push through the pain, who will push through the test, who will push through the suffering, and they will not ring that bell no matter what is going on in their life. And the ones that can look deep inside and find the ability to go on when everybody and everything, even their own body and their own mind is telling them to quit. The ones that can push through, those are the ones that become Navy SEALs. At first, man, the all the crowds were following Jesus. Great crowds. Multitudes of people following Jesus. Everybody loves the miracles. Everybody loved the healings. Everybody loved the free food. Everybody's talking about Jesus. You've got to go see this guy. Man, I, we've never seen anything like that. People are just flocking out of the towns. He's healing people, feeding people. Nobody's ever seen anything like that. But Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew that for many of them, they were looking for the gifts, not the giver. For many of them, they wanted what Jesus could give them, but they didn't want him. And constantly, when you read the Gospels, constantly, Jesus is turning to the crowds and he's warning them, listen to me, there's a cost to following me. There is a cost to following me. In Luke 14, 28, he says this, Which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost? What he's telling them is, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, think about it. Understand what you're signing up for. Get into, you know, get into it with, with, with clear knowledge and, and clear vision of what it means to count the cost. 
And what is that cost? Luke 14, 33, Jesus said this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What's the cost of following Jesus? Everything. Everything. You see, folks, we cannot put anything in front of Jesus. Not your family, not your friends, not your career, not even your life. And for some people, that cost ends up being too high. I close with this this morning, a simple question, and that is, what about us? What about you and I? Is there a cost too high for us to pay? It's interesting, there are times in the Bible that Jesus sounds exactly like one of those drill instructors. Do you know that? It's almost like he's trying to talk people out of serving him. One man came to Jesus in Luke 9 and said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and tell my family bye. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? And Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Another said, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but I, let me go first go bury my daddy. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come with me and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, literally, he sounds rude here. A lot of people have trouble understanding. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is putting his finger on the one thing in those men's lives that they would put ahead of him. That's what he did to the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, sell everything you have. Because he knew that money was more important than Jesus. Would be more important. See, the fact is, Jesus isn't being rude. What he's doing is he's being merciful. He's actually pointing out, you're putting your family ahead of me. He's actually being merciful. See, he wants us to make it. But he wants us also to count the cost. He wants us to understand that you cannot put anything ahead of him. He never said that we wouldn't have trouble. And he never said there wasn't a cost to pay. What Jesus is doing is he's warning us. Listen to me close, river of life. What he's warning each and every one of us is if there is something in your life right now that you put ahead of Jesus, that'll be your downfall. If there's something in your life right now that you would put ahead of Jesus, that will be your downfall. You put your family ahead of Jesus. Do you understand we got an enemy and our enemy is smart and cunning and conniving? And not only does Jesus see into your life and know that there's certain things you put ahead of him, the enemy sees it and he will use it. If you put your family, even your family, as good of a thing that is. Jesus said, I believe in Luke 14, you can't do that. You can't put them ahead of me. Because in the end, you will put them ahead of me. You can put anything, career. If you put your alcohol ahead of Jesus, eventually you'll choose alcohol over Jesus. And the longer you wait, the longer you wait, the more likely it is that'll be your downfall. If you put vaping, if you put pornography, if you put anything ahead of Jesus, what Jesus is pointing out is you can, you've got to renounce it all. 
You've got to count the cost and do it now while you got time. Do it now while you have time. You see, Jesus wants us to make it. He wants us to push past those things. Push past the suffering. Push past the pain. Push, push past the testing. All of those things. And follow Him no matter what the cost. I'm going to leave Him with the final word, Revelation 3.11. These are the words of Christ. He said this, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. We don't know if we got 10 days, 10 years, we have no clue. That's not the question. The question, are you, are you going to hold fast? Are you going to hold fast? And I'm telling you, if you're holding on to trying to hold on to Jesus and hold on to something else, you ain't going to hold on. When I see hold fast, I got a picture of somebody with both arms wrapped around Jesus holding on for dear life. That's what I'm encouraging you this morning, River of Life. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't quit. Don't tap out. Don't walk away. Do not ring that bell. Do not ring that bell. But part of not ringing that bell is, is looking into your own life and seeing, is there something that I've got? Is there something in my life right now that I'm putting ahead of Jesus? Today's the day to get that right. Today's the day to get that right. Please, don't walk out of here thinking, well, I'd never do that. This is the warning. This is the way that the, the I said this a, a few weeks ago. One of the ways that God guards us and guides us and looks after us and protects us and gets us to the end is through messages just like this. That's how he does it. Through messages just like this. So I encourage you, whatever you do, don't ring the bell. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, I can't think of a better song service, as, as odd as it seems, that goes with this message. Because we started off and we said, what? There's nothing better. There's nothing better than you. No one else but you. You see, the fact is, as we're here today, I'm, pro I'm promising you, don't ring the bell. Hold on. And I'm here to tell you, and I promise you this, but more importantly, God makes this promise. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you were merciful enough to those men back in that day to point out the things in their life that was going to be their downfall, that was more important than you. God, I pray here today that even as we close, if there's anyone here that's been riding a fence, they're saying they love Jesus, but on the other hand, they're loving the things of the world. God, somehow, some way, do what you do this day. Open their ears, open their eyes, open their heart to see the truth, the truth of how beautiful and wonderful and glorious you are, that nothing, nothing is better than you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at 
info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.